This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. That's what has been giving me hope. We're showing up and as one person does it and the next person does it, then all of a sudden we are shaping a culture and it's gonna be something our kids are proud of instead of just excuses. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today we're talking about who the heroes were in 2020 with soldier turned peacemaker, Diana Ostrike. Hi everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show, you guys. We are in just a delicious, delightful series called For the Love of Small Wins. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to tell you that this year has been hard. You know, we know. We have all, like every one of us lived on different wavelengths of change and pain and hardship. And we've had times where we're like, I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm going to hide under the covers instead of make the effort to just show up again, right? It's hard. It is the hardest work to put yourself out there over and over and over because at some point we get worn out or we're going to fall down or something's going to happen that we didn't see coming like the year 2020, right? But you know who does show up? Ordinary heroes among us. Those are the ones who put their hand up and say, I'll go. Like, yes, put me in. 
They're the healthcare workers, right? That we see putting themselves in harm's way every single day. They're the grocery store clerks and truck drivers and warehouse workers who proved themselves to be absolutely essential and reminded us why they should be paid and valued so much more than they are. They're the teachers. Oh my gosh. The administrators who took the reins of a school year that went absolutely galloping into the great unknown. And they're back in the saddle for the fall semester. It's just they're miracle workers, right? That's also our justice leaders who have taken to the streets and raised their voices and said, I can't breathe and say her name and Black Lives Matter. Right? It's the young people who volunteered to work the polls this fall so that vulnerable older folks could sit this one out. So today, we're going to talk with someone who knows a thing or two about honestly what it means to be a hero in maybe an unlikely way. Diana Ostrike is my guest today. And when I tell you, you are going to be so delighted that you hit download today or that you hit play on this podcast. She is wonderful. She wears a lot of hats, first of all. So she's a military veteran, an activist, an author. She's a sexual assault nurse. She's also a part of Preemptive Love, which you've heard me talk about plenty of times before. It's an amazing global organization working around the world to end war and provide relief for places where there is such conflict. They run in when everyone else runs out. So Diana just released an amazing book called Waging Peace. One soldier's story of putting love first. Wait till you hear this. Wait till you hear her tell. You might not know where this is going, okay? Keep listening. I really want you to hear Diana's story because don't you want to learn from people who are interested in waging peace? And she is, you guys. She really is. I am honored to have met her. She's a leader in faith, in peace, in justice. And her perception of love as a form of activism is just inspiring. And so. I am so pleased and glad to share with you today my conversation with the very wonderful Diana Ostrike. Diana, good morning and welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm so happy to meet you and I'm so glad I'm getting to see your face right here on the screen. Jen, this is exciting. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. You are so special. I told my listeners a little bit about who you are, but I wonder if, if you wouldn't mind, could you walk it back maybe to the beginning of your time spent in the military? And thank you so much for your service, by the way. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what was your idea of a hero before you joined? And then how, if it did, did your mental picture of what a hero really looks like grow and change as a result of the things you experienced? Sure. I grew up, both of my parents had served in the military and my cousins and my uncles and my aunts and my grandpas. And so, and I grew up in a pretty small little rural Baptist church. And so I think I really grew up seeing heroes as people who served our country were heroes and people who served our country were actually serving God. And so I kind of had a pretty mainstream, you know, let's just admit it, movies. <laughs> you know, the, sure. the movies who were doing it. That was what I saw as really heroic. And then I was 23 years old when I was deployed as a combat medic to the Iraq War. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of something that is not the movies. And it's not for the first time, I really had to 
experience the consequence and the reality of my belief system. Which like, you know, 23, you think you're a total adult, but we know you're a baby. (laughs) I was just a baby. (laughs) Like I was just carrying with me things that I had been given. I had not had to live an ounce of this or test it or experience who's at the other end of my, my gun, who's at the other end of my beliefs. And so all of a sudden I'm in this place and what I've always believed to be true wasn't shaken up. You've got a book out. And the title is so, I love it. It's called Waging Peace. And I have to say, I always believe that our greatest heroes are the ones choosing love over hate. It sounds lovely and squishy, but it is not squishy. It is hard. I'm so proud of you because you have been that person, even when it is so hard, as you just mentioned, to be that person. You've been in some really gut-wrenching situations. I wonder if you would mind taking us back, thus listeners, to that gut-wrenching moment when you had to choose between your humanity and orders from your commanding officer. And I mean, as you said, you're young. I mean, this was a real, real moment for you. What was it like to make that decision? And I'd also like to know, once you parse it forward, since then, how have you aligned your life with that choice? I think it always blindsides us, those moments of choice, those moments where you actually have to look at yourself. I feel like they should give us a memo ahead of time that says like, get some rest, drink some water, because tomorrow you're gonna gonna make the choice that will change the trajectory of your life. But it never happens like that. It was one of the first nights we were in country and we were getting a safety briefing. We were going to convoy over into enemy territory the next day. And at the end of the safety briefing, the sergeant said, be prepared because it's an enemy tactic to push little children, little Iraqi children in front of American convoys in order to slow the convoy. And then they ambush the soldiers at the rear. He said, I hope you understand your duty to keep the convoy rolling at all costs tomorrow. Gosh. Boom, boom, boom. And in that moment, like the air stopped, couldn't breathe. And it hit me, this convoy is happening tomorrow morning. I have, I have eight hours. And I remember walking back to my tent and I just remember shaking, being like, God, like, I know my faith told me this is okay, that ultimately to take a life for my country is to take a life for God. This is unnecessary evil. These are hard things. I've already signed the line. But part of me also is like, I don't think between me and God, I could ever run over a child, no matter what no matter where. And so I remember wrestling on my cot that night, just thinking, whose life will I protect? And whose life will I take? Man, And in that moment, it was the first time that I felt pulled between what God was asking of me and what my country was requiring of me. And so I'm just, you know, praying and shaking. I'm just like, oh God, oh God, help. And I just remember in the middle of it, I just heard this voice. And however you hear the voice of the divine, the voice of whatever, but like, it was just this quiet, calm voice that just said, I love them, Diana. I love them too. And all of a sudden, peace came. And I knew no matter what consequence would come, no matter what would happen, that I would never take a life. And I would step in front of a bullet for any, anybody, anytime, anywhere. Like, I was going to fight for peace with sacrifice instead of bullets. And so that was this first where my allegiance had to change, where I couldn't say yes to both. 
I couldn't do it. And so that was the big change that I knew that even though this was going to look like betrayal and even though I felt like I'd already kind of given away my yes to my country, that this is what it really looks like to say yes to a faith and to a thing that is bigger and longer and deeper and doesn't end. And so in some ways it was my first amount of freedom that I couldn't choose what would happen in the war to me, but I could choose how I would show up in it. And in some ways it gave me back my voice. It gave me back a sense of freedom and a sense of humanity that I didn't have before. And so that changed everything in the war for me and things happened and happened in the war. You can read about it in the book. But when I came back, because I decided that I, the people I was told to see as my enemy, that I wasn't going to see as an enemy anymore, that changed everything for when I came back from war. So no longer were all these people that were on the margins that I didn't really see. And if they had problems, it was their problem. All of a sudden, my faith was a blank check to people. So no longer was it, did we agree? Did we align? Did we worship the same? Did we have the same politics? It was just a yes. And that has launched me into being with people I never saw before. And it has built a community that I never thought possible. And it's really been the thing that in weird ways, I think it really saved my life. Like I didn't know that I needed something until the war happened, but I'm so grateful that I got kind of my ejector from this kind of like self-supremacy, self-protection, a nationalism that said me first at all. And it's given a freedom to my life today that I can't imagine not getting to live with. Would you talk a little bit more about what it cost you, what price you paid for that level of integrity? Because that was not a decision commonly made probably by your peers, by your, you know, fellow people on the ground. And then even as you come home to a family, a military family with a long history of patriotism and specifically through the military, can you talk about how that played out? Crazy enough, I feel like it was simpler for me to be a peacemaker in the middle of a war even though there were bullets, even though there were bombs, even though I knew that because I chose that I would not take a life and I would not load my weapon anymore, that the consequence of that could be military prison. That's just how it goes. You don't get to change your mind. (laughs) And if you want to be a country subjector, that's a long process and they have to grant it to you. You can't just wave your hand. So I think in war, it just felt simple. Like I knew what I knew and I knew that even if I lost my life, there was something greater to lose than that. Like I had more to live for than just staying alive. And in some ways that put a fire in me that could handle what I was seeing day in and day out. But when I came back, there was no script for this. And I knew because I grew up in a very fundamentalist viewpoint, I knew what my people thought about peacemakers. It was like a dirty word and they didn't love America and they didn't understand sacrifice. So like, I knew that if I shared my battlefield experience of becoming a peacemaker and laying down my weapon, I knew that I would lose belonging. I knew that I would no longer be part of the us. That's right. And so I stayed quiet for 10 years. Did you? Wow. 
I knew it. I was the first wave to go to Iraq and the first wave to come home. So like they weren't really talking about decompression or PTSD. Like we were a year in war and all of a sudden they just like let us loose home. (laughs) I just needed to belong and I couldn't pay that price until 10 years later. And I told my story for the first time. What was the context for when you were finally like, it's time, it's time to say this. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't think I'm a yes person. (laughs) I'm a leaper. And so I had joined Preemptive Love Coalition and I was like, oh my, I, you know, I want to unmake violence. I want to be a peacemaker wage war. And they're like, yes. And there was this opportunity to speak at a chapel service, a big one in the South. And I'm from Minnesota. I, it was in Birmingham. I never like crossed the line. <laughs> Mason Dixie. One of my sons is from Ethiopia. So I was just like, oh man, I've never been down here. You know, Preemptive was like, oh yeah, Diana, you should do it and just tell your story. And I realized that that was the first time that I actually wrote it out and I went back to each point. And when I stood up on that stage and told my story of going to war a soldier and coming home a peacemaker, it was the first time I'd ever voiced it. The only person who knew it was my husband, Jake. Wow. And so there was this little group of like students, we did lunch afterwards and they're like, so what does your family think? <laughs> And I was like, I don't know. You're the first ones to hear it. <laughs> wow, that's a big deal. So I think I create a tension and I live it. And it's true in my family of if I talk about peace, there's this perception that I am being disrespectful or not honoring to soldiers in my family who have come before me. And yet I will say again and again that every soldier believes in peace That's why we go to war. We don't go to war expecting to get more war. We believe in peace and we think it's worth fighting for. And I think if I'm a soldier who will talk about the tension of being a soldier and a peacemaker, then it allows other people to come in the conversation because I think we need to do better. We need to give people the opportunity to have these conversations. But if I, if I go into one room, they really like that I'm a soldier and I can see they're nodding like, good girl. And then when I say I'm a peacemaker, I feel the, <laughs> like, there's places that I no longer belong and it hurts. Wow. I'm sorry. In different categories, I deeply understand that. I've never exactly and perfectly fit inside the parameters of any room. I've got some really integral parts of who I am that are at odds with every room I'm in. Belonging is the currency. It's both the reward when you follow the rules right, and it's the punishment when you step outside the bounds. And yet, that's integrity. Integrity is saying, I won't sacrifice this portion of me that is deeply embedded, that is mired in conviction, what is true for me, my values, what I love, what I care about, just to protect my belonging. I also did it for a long time because I was unwilling to pay the price. Belonging is a steep price to pay. It is. And I honor your choices. I do. And the truth is, what you are doing, you're a living example. It's possible to live in attention. It is. The culture right now says it is not. That every single thing is binary. And it's this or that. It's all or none. It's 100 or zero. But that's not been my experience. Tis the season for fabulous skincare because 
the FabFitFun winter box is here to hook us up. I get the best, the best, the best stuff in my FabFitFun box every season, but I've got to say, I'm loving the skincare and self-care products I got in the winter box. So I got the Dr. Brandt Pores No More Pore Purifying Cleanser, and I promise my skin has never felt so clean, looked so fresh. It takes off all my makeup and everything else on my face. I also got the Daily Concepts Facial Dry Brush. And you just kind of like use it everywhere, your forehead, your cheeks, your neck. It's like getting a tiny massage while also making me look less puffy. Okay. Yes, please. And to top it off, I got the most amazing mirror. It's called the Impressions Vanity LED Mirror. And the way you can adjust light on this thing is top notch. I've used it every single day since I got it. You already know that I adore FabFitFun because every single time I get a box, I get something I never knew I needed and I absolutely love. So order your winter box today. Sign up now so you can snag amazing products like the Dr. Brandt Pore Cleanser, the Vanity Mirror. When you customize, use coupon code FTL for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Okay, fabfitfun.com and use the code FTL for $10 off your first box today. Listen to me, taking care of your mind and mental health is just as important as taking care of your body and soul. And BetterHelp is here to make caring for your mental health easy and affordable. So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating with your counselor between 24 to 48 hours via text, chat, phone, video. And if it's not a great fit, you can even change counselors at no cost. And listen, you're definitely not alone in this. So many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. I'm curious what you would say, like, as this has become your now very public story, you've come a long way since chapel. As of a couple weeks, Jen, so I'm still a little bit like, oh, like waiting for the more public. Yeah. Well, even just in your personal life, like in your real life relationships, you know, that this is now you are living in your body in full integrity. I'm curious, as this has been your message, this is how you've aligned, you work with preemptive love, you've written the book. What are you hearing? Are you finding that you are beginning to attract people who share your space? I think so. And I think that that has been one of the most miraculous, magical things because it has been a lonely, lonely place. Being a female veteran is a lonely place. One of the things I didn't expect was that in sharing these stories, that people message me and they're like, Diana, I feel like I'm in the trench with you. Oh, Diana, in the middle of the desert. I can't imagine this. And the wildness that I would felt so alone through all those experiences. But 17 years later, by writing these stories out and inviting people into it, I don't feel alone anymore. And to not be alone in something that was deeply 
painful, a little traumatizing, life-changing, but it is deeply who I am today. I don't get to set that aside when it's not convenient. So I've been hearing people say they feel more challenged, more connected. I've been hearing, I've had some battle buddies who are in the war with me say, oh my gosh, I'm feeling seen. And you put words to this, like just last week, a friend of mine, she's like, I cried because I ran over a squirrel and my 10 year old son's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm fine. She's like, but Diana, I was back to what you said, that white knuckle driving, not knowing if I would kill or be killed. And so I've seen people saying they feel seen and they feel loved. And I'm just like, no, no, I feel seen. And, I feel How it loved. Works. and oddly enough, like, I feel more hopeful. Like, oh, the t- like I, I feel like I had this drive-by book signing because of COVID, which is just ridiculous. And someone's like, are you tired? I'm like, no, I think that last two hours of seeing people and seeing them say yes, I think it just gave me more hope and humanity than the last five months. Oh, it's so good. I'm not surprised one bit to hear you say that. Not one bit. There's a freedom, there's a liberation, and then ultimately there's this community on the other side of this kind of integrity. You can't know it when you're on the other side. You can't. You just have to leap. As you said earlier, it's a, it's a risk. And you already know there's going to be built-in loss into that journey and into that story. But the other side, when you have held strong to your core, to your faith, to your values, and then to discover, you don't have to hide that anymore, which is its own just burden, just a burden to not be able to say what's true and real for you. But then to discover the me too, and the thank you for saying that, and I'm with you, and I'm for you. It's like a miracle. It's just like a miracle. It really is, because fear tells you the opposite. Fear says that you have to give away what's true so that you can pay the price of belonging. So fear tells you none of this is possible. It just feels like punching fear in the face when they do speak up. And actually, there might be three or ten people who look you in the eyes and say yes. And it's enough. It is. Like, enough. That's right. And then there's this greater knowledge that you are literally waging peace. And that is a good use of your life. Like even if that's all you had, even if that's the only thing you got to hang on to was that goodness, that would also be enough because what you're creating in the world is so important. And it makes me want to ask you, you touched on this earlier, but especially right now, golly, what a weird year. 2020 is so I don't even know, man. And then, you know, we're obviously just coming up on such a contentious election. It's just, everybody's just screaming. Everything's so crazy. And so since we're talking about heroes, I also want to talk about enemies a little bit, which you mentioned, because that's a very loaded word and concept, our enemies. And it could be, as you mentioned in your book, anyone from those with just opposing political views, those who look different, those who have lived through things we can't identify with, and therefore we assume they're not true. And so I would like to know you from the position of a, of a peacemaker, how have you seen people showing up And this can include your own life and breaking down this us versus them narrative. And what do you think the tools and the resources of that level of work are? Because I think it's so crucial right now that we figure out 
how to stop making an enemy out of everybody around us. I do think there's heroes and I think we've watched them rise right now. And I also think that I always say, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to find your complicity. Like if you can't find yourself in the story of what's broken, then you're not in the story yet. Like you cannot participate in the story until you can place yourself in that story. I love that. And so I think I have seen people, the most powerful thing that I've seen is that people have been showing up. And this started pretty small in my life when I decided we were going to, we we're just going to wage peace. We we're going to, anybody raise their hand and said, we're scared. There's been violence in our community. Our kids aren't safe. We would just show up. And so once that happens, you find yourself in places that you had no idea what's going on. But once you have proximity, once you stand with somebody in pain, there is something created that you can't do apart. So every vigil that I brought my kids to, we've left with something more than we went before. And I truly believe, like, I can't put my finger on it, but it is a knitted together community and it is a hope that has percolated. And so the more that I've seen people starting to show up for marginalized groups that they didn't know, they did not hear their story. And that's a bit of the cost of white supremacy is that it erases the stories. And so a lot of us are living without the reality of these stories. And that's a bit of the cost of that culture. And so I've seen people start to show up. And then once one person shows up, then the next person shows up. And all of a sudden, I see generational segregation being disrupted. There's a neighborhood and there's a fellow who was going to fly the Confederate flag on the guy's birthday who founded it and all this stuff. And all of the neighborhood just showed up and was like, we want our kids to feel safe here. And so we would just please ask you as a neighbor, not because you don't have the right, you have every right to fly whatever flag you want. You have that right. You have that freedom. But as a neighbor, we're asking you if you wouldn't because we have these kids here. And we want something better for them. And so I look around and all of a sudden I see some, I see my kids, I see some of their friends, I see some African-American teenage girls. And all of a sudden the streets are lined with people that I don't think had ever shown up for anything like this. And I started to get the glimmer of like, this is the new community. Like we're going to be community builders. We're not going to rationalize whether it's our right or not, or whether it's right or wrong. We don't care. We're going to build something better for our kids. And I looked at a friend who's there and she's like, yeah, you know, this is what parenting is nowadays. And I was like, yes, we are showing our kids that our communities are incomplete without them. That's so good. That they not only belong, but they're necessary. And this is their community. It's not ours. It's theirs. And I think that that's what has been changing dynamics. That's what has been giving me hope. We're showing up. And as one person does it and the next person does it, then all of a sudden we are shaping a culture. And it's going to be something our kids are proud of instead of just excuses. I want to look at them and say, I never, never quit. Even if we don't win or things are drastically different in a week, a month, or a year, I want to be able to say that we never quit. We showed up every single time. I really like something you just said. We've been, just in my own life personally, of course, but also on this podcast, 
just come off a really powerful series on Black Lives Matter, listening to really profound women of color in leadership at all levels who are working toward equality and equity and reconciliation and justice. And it's been really inspiring and moving. And one thing that I've really walked away with just from being in such close conversation with such powerful women is that there is something really important. And you just said it about moving beyond some sort of like us and them, even if it's altruistic, right? Even if it's embedded with good intentions, because that's still separate, or it still has some whispers of white supremacy, which is, we'll fix this. We'll do this for you. We'll concede these powerful spaces to you or whatever. And it still puts us on different sides of the equation. And so there's something way more exciting to me way more creative and possible to just say we. It's just a we. It isn't an us and you, a them and them. It's a we. And I think when we begin to imagine our neighborhoods, our communities, our kids' schools, our cities, and ultimately our entire culture as a we, that is a game changer. That is an absolute game changer. I feel like the entire country right now is in an us and them standoff, like an absolute gunfight. And so this whole notion of we, what could we look like? What does we mean for our votes? What does we mean for where we live? What does we look like for what we care about and fight for? That was a beautiful example that you just said. That was a we neighborhood moment, all of us. We are in this together and we are asking you to be a good neighbor. And I think that's so powerful. Speaking of we, I would like to hear you talk a little bit more about your work with preemptive love, what that means for you, what you are actually doing. If you can kind of roll that out for the listeners a little bit. Preemptive Love is an organization based in Iraq, and they started during the Iraq-American War and two communities who had so much violence between them. And the idea is like, could we have people who see each other as enemies? Could we create new stories by jumping towards each other, preemptively coming towards each other? And we exist to end war. And I think It's not just the actual wars where we do work and where we empower refugees in Iraq and Syria and Mexico and Venezuela and Lebanon, but also the ideas that lead to war. And I think that's one of the most important parts. So my role is I build relationships. And I think that if we can take the stories that we hear over there and people are like, well, I want to show up for refugees over there. I'm like, wonderful. Let's unmake violence there. And then I say, but where's the violence in your neighborhoods? Like, oh, no, we we don't have violence here. We, you know, we don't have enemies. And I was like, oh, but we do. And so challenging people really to say that everybody has a place at the peacemaking table. Like your chair is set for you. It'll look different because you are different and your neighborhood is different. But everybody has that place. And we really ask people to come to the table. Because we need people to unmake violence in our own neighborhoods. And it's only going to happen when we start to acknowledge that if you don't, we don't like to say we have enemies, but (laughs) who do you feel like you don't want your kids to go to school with? Who do you feel like 
you're a little unsure if they're making the community better for you or not. Like we all have enemies though we don't want to admit it. And if you don't, other people in the community fear you. That's another one where a lot of people are like, I don't have enemies. They're like, well, as a mother of a black boy, I fear you and you and you and you because I don't know if my son is safe there. I don't know if he's gonna be honored and protected and valued. So I think a lot of work is building these bridges and taking stories where people can connect with things sometimes when it's farther away, but then also saying, well, we need to wage peace where we live. So how do we do that? Start there. I love these questions that you're asking because there's a temptation when we have a discussion around peacemaking, specifically in your context as a veteran, you know, someone who has served overseas in an actual war, in a real conflict, we can't externalize peacemaking to that category to say, oh, well, this, these are things that happen in Iraq. These are things that happen in Beirut. These areas of great conflict and well, good on you for getting over there and doing your best. But the truth is peacemaking starts right at home. Of course, right where we live, right in our communities. And so this is our human family. We all have a role to play here. I'm solidly on the side of this perspective, solidly. And I love what you said earlier. If you don't know where to start, if you're just not sure, that's probably a function of your privilege. If you, if you don't know, you've probably been shielded. And so find the pain. Where's the pain? Where's the sorrow? Who's hurting? Who's afraid? Who's marginalized? who's being erased, who's on the low end of a power differential, just begin there as a listener, as a learner, not as a fixer, not as a savior. We got to lay that down. That's a tired old approach that actually causes more pain than it solves. But what would it mean to be a good neighbor? What would it mean to be a good friend? What would it mean to come alongside of people in pain in solidarity? That's a great first step. This holiday season, more people will be mailing their stuff than literally ever before. That means the post office is going to be super busy, and I don't have time for that. Lucky for us, Stamps.com brings the post office, and now UPS shipping, right to your computer. It's so easy. You just use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for literally any letter, any package, any class of mail for anywhere you want to send. This is like all my dreams come true. Once your mail is ready, all you do is schedule a pickup or drop off. It really is that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. It's a great deal. Whether you're looking to send gifts to loved ones or you're a small business looking to ship to customers. Guys, just don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Not one minute. Sign up for stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code for the love, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in for the love. Okay, so it's stamps.com and then enter for the love. Even if you can't be with all of your people this holiday season, you can still bring them together with the gift of family history and ancestry. 
Right now, the holiday sale at Ancestry is the perfect time to treat someone you love to a gift that connects them to family in obviously new and meaningful ways. Find amazing prices on gifts like an Ancestry gift membership that'll let your loved one discover the fascinating people in their past, or you can surprise them with Ancestry DNA so they can uncover their origins. You already know how much I love Ancestry. I've used it to figure out where my ancestors were from, and there's something special about knowing the people who came before me are almost entirely from the UK. And thinking about the history they lived through there makes me feel more rooted in who I am. So don't miss special holiday pricing on truly meaningful gifts during the holiday sale at Ancestry. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash for the love to get your Ancestry health kit today. Okay, it's Ancestry.com slash for the love. All right, back to our show. So before we kind of land the plane here, in addition to that incredible starting place that you gave us, knowing that you are talking right now to a community who is very interested in peacemaking, this is a community value in my world. Do you have any other thoughts, resources, little pieces of wisdom or advice or your experience that you could put into the hands of potential peacemakers to say, here are some best practices to maybe start with. Put this in your toolkit. It'll grow from here, but start here. I really like to tell stories and I don't like to tell people what to do. I wrote my book and I was like, I just want to share these stories. And like, you can take them as stories or you can put yourself in there and ask yourself the same question. I wrote four, just four things. And it's called my Waging Peace Manifesto. Like sum up a book and just put it into four points, put it on the fridge. And so it, if you sign up on my website to be part of the book club, I will send it to you. Feel free. I'll just send it to you anyways. Any of your listeners can get this. But it's my Waging Peace Man- Manifesto. And there's just four things that I wrote on it. And the first one is find the erased stories. Second one is find your complicity. The third one is find your enemies. And the fourth one is find justice. Good. That's great. And there's more to each one of those, but I do believe that you need to start with the stories that have been erased of where you live. I live on indigenous land. Mm, Good. Like we need to start to learn the stories. Like you cannot build true community unless you have a common memory. And so you have to find those erasers. You can't just find your like, oh, I really want to help X. It's like, no, there's historic and present groups who have been erased and we need to start there. Find the erased stories. And the next one is find your complicity. Until we find ourselves in that story, we're bystanders. And like you said, it's easy to just say stuff from the bench. Sure. But when you find your complicity, you will find a heartbreak and you'll join the story and accept yourself and maybe your parents and your parents' parents. Like we're all connected. And the next one is you do have to find your enemies because that is part of that truth telling who sees you as an enemy because we, we have them. We don't like to own that. We treat people as suspicious. This is a humble work right here. This is humble truth telling and it has kept us from so much justice because we are more worried about the discomfort inside of that work than the truth of it. And so this is really going to the map right here. And then the last one is find justice. And my tagline for that is show up. 
commit and just show up. You don't need to know anything. The first time I went to them, I just awkwardly sat in the back and listened, but it changes things. And I think those four things are absolutely, you do them today. There is no fancy book you need to buy. I will. Like, you don't have to become anything different. This is all places of starting to learn what we don't know about the land we live on, about the people, our neighbors we live with. And then you insert yourself in the story because we are in the story. And then you can start committedly showing up and finding justice. Yes, here, here. So good. I love it. I love what you're doing in the world. I love your message. I love your lived experience. This is really important. It's always been important. It's super important right now. And I'm thrilled to be able to put your book in the hands of so many of my, the women in my community. This is what we need right now. This is it. This is the way forward is peace. It is. I believe it with every fiber in my being that love and peace is the answer. And so I'm so delighted to get to speak today to such a powerful fellow peacemaker. How fantastic. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here. This is a series called For the Love of Small Wins because we just need some. These are questions that I'm asking everybody in the Small Wins series. And you can just top top your head, whatever comes to mind. Here's the first one. What were you grateful for this year? A personal small win. I was really grateful for getting the pause and having my kids and my partner, like all of us under the same roof together since March. And I just think that interruption, I felt like that had passed. You know, the time of little kids at home and us all being together. I was grateful for just that. It's almost like we came back together and got to have this little family huddle that's been a really interesting, crazy, <laughs> but I love it. I'm grateful for it, man. That's a new category, interesting, crazy. Okay, great. How about this one? What's one small way that 2020 has changed you for the better? I'm just going to say that it has dug my feet into peacemaking, into showing up like actively. It is a non-negotiable at this point, and it's also forced me to find things that give me hope because if you are showing up committedly again and again as 2020 every other week, I'm like, I can't, our trunk has so many signs in the back. I'm like, I can't make another single sign. Like, like this cannot keep happening. So it's forced me just to accept that this is a regular rhythm and we will persistently committedly when we're sad, when we're tired, when we're happy, this is just, our life because until everybody's kids, until all our kids, until we are thriving, then we cannot stop. So it's forced me to find things that give me hope because I cannot keep showing up with love in my heart, hearing and seeing the things that are breaking my heart daily from people. Fill those trunks, you guys. There's just room for a couple more signs. Just fill the trunks. That's how we show up. Here's the last one, Diana. And this is a question that I ask everybody in every series. This, and it's a question that I learned from Barbara Brown Taylor. You can answer it literally however you want to. What is saving your life right now? 
COVID pets, two guinea pigs named Hammy and Lewis. <laughs> As of two weeks ago, we don't have one now. We have two. <laughs> sure. Guinea pigs. They, they trill when you hold them. They kind of like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so loved right now. It's sad, but like, I really love it. <laughs> Listen, no, we accept that as a good answer. I love that. And then Hamilton, it's just kind of been, we're a little late to the game, but man, there's some videos happening in my house. There's some, uh, oh, you're all in. I decided that, you know, Lafayette is like, we all have a crush on him. Oh my gosh, the greatest. So the greatest. That's my favorite. Hamilton guinea pigs is just get me through right now. Absolutely. Same. Uh, my very first time to see Hamilton or have any exposure to it was in February. So I was also way late to the game, but I fell hard. I fell hard and permanently. <laughs> so I am with you. Okay, before I let you go, can you please just tell my community where they can find you, where they can find your book, where are you on social media, all those things. So the best way to connect about the book is wagingpeacebook.com. And that will bring you straight to my website because my last name is a little tricky to spell, even for me. So <laughs> otherwise, it's just, it's Diana Ostrike at Instagram and at Facebook. But I also am really trying to honor that social media can be a little heart crushing and tricky right now. And so what I would do on social media, some I'm just sending to people's inboxes. So if you want to hear about the book, if you want a few hopeful stories, I shoot them out maybe once or twice a month. So jump on the email list so that you can read it and know what you're getting. And you don't have to scroll through a whole bunch of things you don't want to read in order to hear a little bit about waging peace. That's so great. Everybody listening, if you go to jenhatmere.com under the podcast tab, I'll have all of this linked. Every single thing that Diana just mentioned in one spot, you can click, 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 click to all the things. Just a full like Diana immersion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that I've met you today. Like, This is the right way to start this day. I am energized by this conversation with you and I am so proud of your work. I'm glad to know you. I learned things today. And so thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and just for keeping your your hand to the plow, for keeping your foot on the gas um, because peacemaking is hard work and it is tiring work, but it is good work. And so I am cheering you on in every possible way. And so delighted to meet you. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been awesome. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I felt hopeful. I felt inspired. I felt encouraged. I felt challenged. I love Diana and I love that discussion. I love her work in the world. And so as mentioned, jenhatmaker.com under podcast will have everything you need. And so as a listening community, this is a good one to share. Put this on your feeds, share this with your families, with your friends, with your communities, with your churches, what it looks like to be in a community that intent on waging peace. And if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast, And thank you for those of you who have done it and for all of you who rate and review this podcast. It's so good for little shows like ours and it puts more eyeballs on the conversations that we're having that I find so important. I think they matter so much. And so Laura and Amanda and I and our entire podcast team are so grateful to bring this to you week in and week out. It's our joy to do this work. 
and to engage in these conversations with you because you're such a highly engaged community. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. Thank you for being here, you guys. All right. I'll see you next week. 